Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. This week we continue our series entitled From Easter to Pentecost. And having looked at prayer for three weeks, we do so again today from a slightly different perspective. We are looking at the role of our spiritual language or tongues in prayer. Tongues just mean languages in the New Testament. They supernaturally spoke in languages they had never learned. Any time that we deal with a subject of spiritual language or commonly referred to as speaking with tongues, and I will interchange them throughout my message, we recognize that we come into an area of widespread trepidation, of concern, and in many cases, outright belief, and sadly, often scorn, but not at least a little bit of misunderstanding. But among those whom without fear, who will refuse to scorn, and who want to understand, the Holy Spirit will help them learn this reality, that this is one of the many graces of spiritual growth and spiritual practice that we have. Speaking with tongues is one segment of spiritual experience, and no one should think it's strange. Please don't think it's strange or irregular. If, like we've done, have spoken for three weeks on teaching, on prayer, that we now come and look at this matter too. And I don't want it to be strange, particularly to any who are new in the life of our faith community or or happen to be visiting here today, that we are dealing with speaking in tongues and this fact. We don't want it to be strange at all. I don't want anyone to misunderstand and think that we just blow this out of all proportion. This is just another Pentecostal church that goes on about tongues. As As a matter of fact, the last time we brought a message on this subject alone was quite some time ago, was in fact many, many years ago. And so today we will focus on spiritual language as a spiritual discipline and its role in the growing spiritual life of a believer and the growing prayer life of a believer and view it in the context of a whole. This vast area of tongues and speaking in tongues has always been a difficult one to navigate. Some 30, 40 years ago, this very subject caused churches to split, denominations to divide, and friendships to be tested, which was incredibly sad. Thankfully, this doesn't happen quite so much today, but it does have the ability to stir up strong feelings and emotions. So we will proceed gently and with care, but with openness to what Scripture has. So therefore, in order to lay a foundation to where I want to go to today, I want us to agree with three things as we start. Number one, first of all, the fact is that we are today in a Pentecostal church means that most, if not all of us, have an understanding of something of Pentecost, of the gifts of the Spirit, and in principle with what the Bible says about these things. In other words, we are not sitting this morning in a cessationist church that believes the gifts are not applicable or relevant for today. Some people teach that the gift of speaking in tongues went away with the early church, but there are millions, the biggest percentage of the church of today worldwide speak in tongues. 
But those who speak in other tongues are certainly no better, nor are they more spiritual than those who do not speak in tongues. But I will be encouraging us to speak, to, to look at this subject for ourselves. Secondly, if we are going to be true to the biblical narrative around and including the road that takes us from Easter to Pentecost and what happens at Pentecost, speaking in tongues has to, be, has to be included because the New Testament is littered with references to it. That is why we look at a series or a passage. There are many, I've just quoted four. Acts 2 verse 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Acts 19.6, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Mark 16 verse 17 says, and those signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. 1 Corinthians 4 14 verse 2 says, For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God, for no, one, for no one understands them since they are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. So not to do so would be untrue and disloyal to Scripture. Just to, to simply ignore something that doesn't make sense or is less than true does not make it go away. And thirdly, we are honing in today on one specific area of which seen in its whole is incredibly vast, multifaceted, and has produced thousands of books and perhaps even more sermons have been preached about this subject than anything else. So what we are touching on lightly today is for the specific of this series and no way tries to look at everything to do with this incredible topic. And then the next piece that I want us to touch upon or clear up before we go is this. You may have read or you may have heard it said that tongues are not for everyone and it is therefore only for some. The argument goes something like this. Surely in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 and 30, isn't Paul asking a rhetorical question to which the answer is clearly no? when he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work powerful deeds, all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but strive for the greater gifts, but I will show you a more excellent way. Now this is often quoted by those who hold such a stance of believing that tongues are not for all. Well, this is not what the New Testament teaches, and especially here, and it is important that we note that what we are seeing here is a different function of tongues as laid down in the New Testament. And when we start to clear this minefield or sort out the muddied waters, we will see that it is for everyone, but it will therefore bring a challenge. You see, in fact, the problem that Paul was addressing, and you'll hear me say this time and time again over the next 20, 25 minutes, the fact that Paul, the, the, the problem that Paul was dealing with the Corinthian church was the main reason for this teaching here in Corinthians. You see, they didn't know the difference between the personal exercise of gifts and the public exercise, the personal and the private, and this 
is why Paul is dealing with this. You see, the Bible teaches us that the gift of tongues has three purposes. One, the consequences of being filled with the Holy Spirit as recorded on the day of Pentecost and elsewhere. Secondly, it is a ministry gift, a ministry gift it's called, a message given in the church that can be interpreted for the benefit of the church. Not everyone has this gift, just like not everyone has prophecy, healing, miracles. And this is what Paul is speaking to in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, when he asks, do all speaking tongues ministry gift? And of course the answer is no. But thirdly, it is also a personal prayer language that the believer can use in times of prayer and worship. This is available to everyone. In fact, Paul says about the use of tongues, I want you all to speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. Why would he say it if it wasn't possible? So therefore, it is very important not to confuse the different use of tongues like they were in Corinth, and vital that we interpret the Bible harmoniously and in context. Ideally, and if time permitted, we should read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, but you wouldn't get home until the middle of the afternoon if we went through everything. So therefore, for our purpose this morning and in this series, I wish to highlight four reasons for encouraging the discipline of praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. So we're going to read together 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. And they'll be on the screen. It says these words, Pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God. For no one understands them, since they are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. But those who prophesy speak to other people for their building and encouragement and consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. Now I would like that all of you speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. See, interestingly, these references to benefits of private exercise of speaking in tongues were not the main thrust of this passage. He's dealing again with the misunderstanding, the misuse of tongues, and the misunderstanding of the ministry gift and the personal gift. But we will unpack some of them nevertheless. <laughs> the first one is that we speak to God. Those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people, but speak to God. This point excites me. This point thrills me. If there is no other reason for the continuing exercise or the encouragement of the continual exercise of the devotional, private, personal use in tongues, of tongues in our prayer life, then there is enough reason right there. We get to talk to him. You may well say, well, I don't understand it. Well, surely praying in our own language is magnificent enough, Chris. I don't know the answer to that question, but in his wisdom, he, almighty God, has given us this way too. So the only thing that I can really say is, challenge him, challenge scripture. Paul says that he does 
both. We may not know what we're saying, but bless God, we know to whom we are talking. And he knows what we're saying. He doesn't have to say, oh gosh, I'm gonna get my linguistics angel over here. This has completely confused me. You know, you're good at languages. Can you, you can speak Welsh. Come over here, mate. <laughs> no, not at all. He just receives it. Oftentimes it has been said, well, why doesn't the Lord just give us a flash of revelation so we know what we're praying? Well, number one, a lot of the times, I actually believe that if we knew what we were praying in tongues for, we couldn't handle it. I don't believe we could handle it if we knew. The depths and the mysteries that we would be praying, we just wouldn't be able to get a hold of it. It would be too big for our minds. When we come in a couple of moments and we talk about spiritual warfare, you know, sometimes I think God doesn't want us to know what's going on in the heavenlies and what's happening in spiritual warfare. He just calls us to pray. And sometimes the weight of it would actually do us no good. It would be just too much. Also, the argument continues, why does God bother to go to that lengthy cycle of saying, Chris, pray for dawn. And since you don't know how to pray or what to pray for him, pray in your spiritual language for dawn. Why doesn't God just deal with dawn and with what he needs? See, the basic reason that the Lord goes this circuit, is he is trying to cultivate a breed of responsible sons and daughters who cooperate with him, who labor with him in the ministry of shaping lives and eventually shaping the whole world. It's that role of co-governance that we heard from Don last week. (laughs) And, you know, if he doesn't invite us into participation, we just get caught up so often So often the Christian nature, so much our nature can be, we can get caught up in our own thing. There is no greater thrill than having something put on your your spirit to pray for somebody else, not knowing what it's about, and just saying, God is using me to pray here. Man, that absolutely thrills. And if God in his wisdom decides to let you know what you are praying about, thank you, Jesus. But many of us, have had that experience that we have just prayed for someone we did not know, and maybe we used our spiritual language, but something happens in us that we are co-governing with God, and the thrill of it all is that he is creating us in us a people who can govern with him. But if we don't, we just get caught up in ourselves, and we live a life to what we think is the best, and we live it within certain Christian boundaries, but we miss the main purpose, that we are called to be followers of Christ. And if we don't, we will still be really unfulfilled here in the depth of our being. Saved, yes, but he is looking for people to partner with him. You know, reminding us about each other, I think is an incredible work of the Holy Spirit. I loved what Don said. He says, you know, when we come to the Lord's Prayer, he says, our Father, and not just my Father. That sense of family, that sense of corporate, that sense of we are to be together. And then this leads us to our second point and builds on our first. When we don't know what to pray for, pray in our spiritual language. No, we have all had times when we don't know what to pray. We desperately want to pray, but the words just don't come. Whether we're walking through a crisis, dealing with a difficult person, or simply having a bad day, 
then know that you're not alone. Often I've sat down to talk to God and had no idea really where to start or what to pray. And sometimes I think something must be wrong with me or even that I might be super unspiritual. But when I find or when we find ourselves in those situations, when we don't know what to pray, we can just start to gently move into our spiritual language. See, I believe that sometimes the wisdom of praying in the spirit for the things that are on our heart is that we really don't know how to pray because of our own brokenness and our own weakness. And sometimes we pray, Lord, I pray for this person, I pray that you keep them safe, I pray that you, how many people have done that and then you just run out of words and you forget and you go on. And sometimes we need to pray at a deeper level or a more concerted effort. You know, Romans 8, 26, I'm gonna read it in the New, New Revised Standard and then in the message, it says these words, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words or the message. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayers out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. <laughs> Some have said that Romans 8:26 is not specifically talking about speaking with tongues. And I suppose you could give ground to that interpretation or that argument. But I would want to say this without stretching a point at all that if Holy Spirit begotten utterances and groanings enable me to pray beyond my understanding to speak to the Father, if he helps me to do this with just unutterable groanings and in so doing, birthing and stirring up a move of deep level compassion and concern and caring, it is not stretching the point at all to advocate that the exercise of spiritual language does exactly the same, or at least that. Frankly, I think that this text is one application of tongues, but if someone argued against the point, I guess we would say that's okay. But the Holy Spirit, who makes groanings amount to this much, can surely do at least with tongues, the same with tongues. You know, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 13 says this, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear, ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, <laughs> interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. I just wanna highlight that last word there, spiritual. It's worth noting that at this point that that word is from the Greek word pneuma, and it was a word commonly used at that time. It comes from Greek Stoic philosophy, pneuma, and it is the concept 
of the breath of life. And this is what it means here. It means exactly the same in this passage. Those who have had the breath of God, the breath of the living God breathed in them that they are now alive, that they were once dead, but they are now alive. And that's what that word spiritual means. These words are not referring to some spiritual class of people that are better than somebody else. They're not speaking to someone else who has a special insight, oh, I have tongues and you don't, or something like that. This is meaning each and every one of us are spiritual who are born again. And that means you and I. Thirdly, its role in spiritual warfare. (laughs) Don't really want to go into any depth but to simply build upon what Don said last week about prayer, that there are times when we come in our prayer life against things that are not just natural. Sometimes we come across things in our life, in our work, in our home, in every area that are just not natural. And things that are happening are definitely of another world. In fact, the opposition is supernatural and it is therefore demonic. And this is what we are up against. That's the reality. This is a great example of when we can pray in our spiritual language because more often than not, we don't know what to pray. And as I said earlier, we do not have a clue what we are up against. And I think it's so healthy and good and wonderful of God that we don't know what we are up against. But we can pray in our spiritual language. You see, most of the time, we don't know Satan's schemes, but the Holy Spirit does. And this is the reason why we are urged to pray with our spiritual language. See, Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 6, as he brings this treaty on the armor of God to, to a close, says these words, pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. I would say that in my family, both immediate and wider family, that praying in tongues and doing warfare through that medium has saved my family. That there has been a fight been on for my family in all its sense, and I believe the victory has been won in tongues. Fourthly, it is a benefit. It is a benefit that builds us up. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 14 says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Couple of things to note here. Again, because of the original context. It's valuable to note at this point that the most accurate translation of this verse, 1 Corinthians 14 verse four, should read in English, and he who prophesies edifies the church. That when we read in English, the word but, it could and should be, according to most biblical translators, be read as and and not but. He who speaks in a church, he who speaks in a tongue, edifies himself, and he who prophesies edifies the church. Slightly changes the nuance of the sentence and therefore its meaning. You see, Paul isn't pitting one against the other. He is dealing with a context. But we can use it if it's not accurate to say whatever we want to say. It's also interesting to unpack the word edify. In the middle of the 14th century, the English word meant to build up or construct. 
The English word comes from an old French and a Latin word, both which mean to build. The Greek word for edify is okadomo, means to construct or to build. It is a compound of two words, okios, house, and domio, to build. It is, a common, it is the common word for build. Remember the story in the New Testament of the wise man that built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand? The Greek word in that story is exactly the same word that is used here. Edify can be somewhat misleading because in the Bible it does not mean what the readers think it means. Most, if not all, English dictionaries do not show that it means to build. Instead, they have definitions like to instruct or benefit, to uplift, and one says to improve the morality of. They sometimes and only mention the word build in the etymology or the history of the word. You see, why go all there, Chris? Well, I think it's important because it, it means to build. And I love the idea, the imagery of building into our life day by day, precept on precept, step by step, by exercising our spiritual language on a daily basis. It's what we do with physical training. You know, one day after day, day, after day builds our physical fitness. You know, you don't go to the gym and think, oh, I'm gonna do today and I'm gonna be fit. You go and you're wrecked and you keep going. And you go back, and you go back, and you don't notice a change for a week. But you know, after six months, oh, there's some difference taking place. There's some things here that are different, or gone, or reshaped, or rehoned, <laughs> but still ugly. No. <clears throat> See, speaking in tongues is not a gift like a fine piece of china that we bring out and use on high days and holidays. It is, not some, it is something to be used, not simply admired. And I'm going to use the word sad because I think it is. But the argument has been used by those who wish to deny the reality of speaking in tongues for today. They say that to seek self-education or building oneself is selfish and self-seeking and not a goal that we should really aspire to, that surely we are to put others above ourselves and such things are not quite right. They, don't, they leave a taste in our mouth. They're not desirable. You know, I believe that the building up of oneself is not a bad thing. I actually believe it's biblical. It simply isn't the primary point of the kind of public meeting that Paul had in view and he is dealing with here. Again, the context. You see, we do, we study the Bible to build ourselves up. We pray to edify to build ourselves up. We listen to sermons to build ourselves up. Countless Christian activities are an effective way of self-education or of building oneself up. And if we had any lingering doubts, let's come back to Jude 20, which directs us to edify ourselves by praying in the Spirit. You see, every gift of the Spirit in some way or some, to some degree, either directly or indirectly edifies and builds its user. This is not evil or unwanted unless self-education or edification becomes an end in and of itself. It is your, if your spiritual gift serves to increase your maturity, heighten your sensitivity, 
expand your understanding, intensify your zeal, it's all the better for the rest of us in the body of Christ. You know, I, one of the weight that carried this week that there is so much to be said on this subject and we have such a limited time. And much more could be said, but we would be here for a long time. But as I look to land this, I want to encourage the fo- in the following. If speaking in tongues is not part of your experience, talk to God, pray about it, examine scripture, talk to someone you trust who has this as part of their experience. Secondly, if this is something you've been thinking about and truly desire, do all the above and to get someone to pray for you. In about three weeks we will be celebrating Pentecost and we will be giving the opportunity then to, to pray for this area. Thirdly, if it has been stolen from you, ask God to restore it. What do you mean by has it been stolen from you? I believe that there are many people who once began to speak in tongues, but maybe because of the resistance to tongues from their stream of the church that they are in, or the pastor, or the disapproval of loved ones, or perhaps even the scorn of friends, that you stopped and you were robbed of it and it was stolen from you and you have never gone back there. I believe God desires to reignite this in some of us over this season. (laughs) Fourthly, if you've lost it through lack of use, start again, resurrect it. How easy. To begin with, practice today for 30 seconds and do another 30 seconds tomorrow and do 30 seconds on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. All you're gonna do is 30 seconds. Next Sunday, go for a minute. Do that whole week at a minute. You know where I'm going. Then go for two minutes, three, and within a couple of weeks, you will be speaking five, six, seven, eight minutes. It's a language. No one, sta- no one starts speaking any language fluently not even our first language. There are many myths about speaking in tongues, and one myth is that you start speaking it fluently the first day. You don't. You build day by day, word by word, (laughs) sentence by sentence. Fifthly, if it's part of your spiritual life, then may I encourage you to keep going. One one part of this series that has been somewhat different is that we have made it personal and This is how I want to finish the day. Just share with you how it functions in my life, or rather, how I do it, which may be of help, but it may be of hindrance. But I'm just gonna lay it out there. The thing that we have had from these first three weeks is sometimes the practical aspect has been so life-giving, so that's where we wanna go today. So when it comes to exercising my own spiritual language, number one, like Dawn, I have turned my car into my closet. It is where I use what I use to speak in tongues. I turn off Mike Hoskin, not that I listen to him that much, and I speak in tongues. And it takes me 10 minutes to get to work. And when I come to work, it probably takes me a bit early, less than that, and I speak in tongues. And I do it. And when I'm coming back home, I turn off Coast or Breeze, and I do the same again. Secondly, when I exercise, when I do my physical exercise, I give time to praying in both my natural and supernatural language. You may just think, this is barking mad, but I'm just sharing with you what I do. Got this spin bike, 
So I turn off my music, I pull out my earphones, I switch off yet another podcast, and I set myself a time that I will quietly speak in tongues, not babbling out, not shouting my head, totally in control, softly and quietly speaking. And I'll get on my bike, and I will just talk to Jesus. And for five minutes, I will do it, and then I go back to listening to music. No one else knows. No one else need know. So often I do it from the 10th minute for five minutes. I do it from the 25th minute for five minutes, or such variation. Friends, can I throw this out there? Before you listen to another podcast, not that that is wrong, perhaps consider this. Do I need to talk to God rather than listen to someone else talk about him? Thirdly, (coughs) attempting to walk more in my daily life with the purpose of praying. Again, in both my natural and supernatural tongue. So as I walk, I set myself certain distances, whether it be from church or from where we live. I pick out a landmark and I say from this junction, from where I am to that road intersection or that roundabout, I'm going to pray in English for my family and my area of influence. I pray for hope, the kids, the grandkids, my unsaved friends, my neighbors, and I pray in English for that distance. And you know, and when I pray for my family in English, I always pray like this. Lord, I come before you, the great high priest. I come as the high priest of my family, which is one whole entity, but it has three different units, and I name Hope, and Ben, and Miriam, and Megan, and Thomas, and the babe, that is on its way, and then I pray for them, and every day I pray the blessing of number six on them, not because it is something that we do, or something that is simply religious, but to invite his kingdom into their daily situations, and as their priest, an Old Testament and a New Testament concept, I pray for them, and then I choose another landmark, and I pray for the same thing, but in my spiritual language, and I repeat the routine, and then I pray for you, and for gateway, first in the natural and then in the supernatural. It's as if you say, well, how do you know that you're praying for them in your tongue? Well, I say, Lord, I wanna pray in my tongue and I wanna pray for gateway and all the people, so here goes. You know, he is God after all. He can sort that out. And then, currently, I pray next for the Ukraine, and for New Zealand, and for government and what is on our heart. Please don't think, like Don said last week, you guys get paid to pray. Well, I don't pray for a long time every time. Everything that I have said to you that I do this morning can be done in 10 minutes, or it can be done in five minutes, or it can be done in 60 minutes. On my day off, I do an hour, I go for a walk. When I'm walking to the shop or walking somewhere else, I do it in 10 minutes. Musicians, please come and join me. Specifically, I want to talk for a couple of moments as I conclude about the season that I'm in, (laughs) and this is where we're at. About six weeks ago, we got back from spending six weeks in the United Kingdom with our son and our daughter-in-law and, of course, our grandson. (laughs) And one of the, I was going to say one of the many high points, the high point for me was that I got to take my grandson for a walk in his pushchair, maybe four or five times a week. You know, even when it wasn't needed, I did it. It was, I think the family saw it as a way of getting me out of the house quickly. 
a way of getting some space. And I mean, it was the middle of winter and we were so wrapped up and it was so cold, but it was great. But on the first day out, I was determined to make this count and my train of thought went like this, that if I wasn't going to see Angus as much as I'd like to see him in the next two or three years, I could still pray for him. Then I got thinking about Megan and Thomas, you know, most of you will know that Megan, Megan MacDonald is our daughter, and she was 40 weeks pregnant two days ago. I have had a useless brain these last couple of days. I've got no idea what's going on. I missed a meeting yesterday that I didn't even apologize that I wasn't going to go to. I haven't even told you that. I was supposed to be at a pastor's thing, and I didn't turn up. But she was 40 weeks pregnant two days ago. But at, about, at this time, she was probably about 30 weeks pregnant. And I decided this, and I prayed this. If the God who made and maintains the universe, who created and knows my grandson already, was truly this almighty God, then I am going to ask him to do the following, and I did. As I walked and as Angus slept, and as I prayed in my natural tongue and my supernatural tongue over him, I asked that the Holy Spirit would take my prayers, spoken physically over one, that he would receive them, spoken on behalf of both of them. And I believe he can do it, and I believe he does it. And the roles will be reversed in a couple of weeks, or maybe in a couple of days, who knows? And I'll be walking grandson number two out, and I will say the same prayer. And you know, and now I pray, you know, my rationale and my faith believing that if he, if he can take our faltering words, our groanings, our utterances that we don't understand or a language we've never learnt and make something of them, then for him, pun intended, what I asked would be a walk in the park. So now I pray for Angus and Bubba, as I've, I've actually given them a name, I just hope it's the name that they come up with. <laughs> I... I believe as he has heard my request and continues to do so. You see, I prayed in both language, but often after speaking and praying in my prayer language, I've never felt it so powerfully as I have this season, an overwhelming release in English to pray over my grandsons. This happens not every time, but it happens too frequently for it to be just me. And you see, some of the aspects that I have felt to pray for are his favor and his grace to be on the boys, that they would be his friends. Also, I pray that my two grandsons would love the things that he loves, his word, his people, his spirit, his church, his passion for holiness. And you can laugh. I've already started praying for their wives. I really have. Sometimes, we, you've heard me say this before, sometimes we so worry as parents and grandparents what we can leave for our kids, we need to be worried about what we leave in our kids rather than worry so much about what we leave for them. For these past, I don't know, 35 minutes, I have attempted to share with you what I believe is biblical and real and vital and how it works for me. Today, wherever we stand on this matter, whatever we believe, can I encourage us all to ask God to reveal to us his heart, his mind, 
on the role of the Holy Spirit and tongues in particular, and to do so with an open mind and listening heart. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.